morning from the West Coast. My name's Ryan, and I'll be your podcast host for the next uh, hour. I did not mean to rhyme that one, Saruti, but um, in bed early last night. In bed way earlier than projections. So. Not, not interested in, uh, well, I guess early for you would be after the <laughs> the Nuggets game, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not. See, that's not early not. for us East Coasters. No, it isn't. That's a no, midnight plus special. I still don't like it. I still don't like it. I just realized how selfish everyone is about the West Coast games. So I want to get right to it. I don't want to waste any time. We have McShea coming up here. We're hoping, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, something like that. But this is live, on the fly, producing. McShea's been known to blow a dude off. So it may not be his fault. It could be TV trumping us. That's just the way it works. But we want to do a little draft recap. And he brought it up. And the thing is, I know he didn't bring it up because I was like, hey, when am I going to get you before the draft? Because he actually said... How come you're using Kuiper and not me? I went, wow, you guys really hate each other. That's what I said to myself, my inner dialogue. And then I was like, well, you know, I was kind of saving you for right up close. He's like, no, I get it. I get it. I'm like, are you still good for doing it? He's like, I'm good for doing it. We can do multiple <laughs> days. We can keep going hour. Let's go longer. And he goes, and let's recap the whole thing. And I knew, I'm like, this is the guy that is booking a trip to Vegas and then said, you know what I might do is stop in Dallas for a night on the way back. Before I go home, and then when that trip is rolling around, and you're leaving Vegas, you're like, "Why do I? Why did I book it that way? Why do I want to go to Dallas? I don't want to go to Dallas. I just want to go home. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done." And so when I text McShay, I go, "Are you ready to go for recap?" He's like, "When? How long? Are you sure? I don't know. I got a lot of TV." And I went, "I just turned into Dallas. I'm McShay's Dallas after Nashville being his Vegas, but from a work angle." Does that make sense to you? It does, but I've got breaking news, too. McShea confirmed half an hour. Boom. That totally worked out. Okay, great. Let's do some basketball first. I believe, and I think I'm pretty pretty good at knowing who everyone's angles are that talk for a living about sports, all the opinion people. I'm friends with all of them, unless we hate each other. I believe I'm the least biased there is. Who else would be in that conversation? Ooh, it's a tough one. I love Will, but it's definitely not him. No, he's brilliant. Uh, I mean... You went Stephen see, A. I, I mean, Stephen A's biased. See, I don't know if I believe you, though. Like, I I don't think... I think you you, you still have biases. Like We I, all do. I do want to ask you about your boy, Chris Paul. Um, yeah, no problem. We haven't talked about him in a while, actually, which is kind of funny. We haven't. Um, but as far as like, you know, like Stephen A, what's Stephen A's bias? Guys he talks New to? New York. He's kind of like a New York guy, but then he was in Philly forever. Um, I, look, I don't, I'm not, I don't know if there's anyone completely void of any bias, but what, what would my biases be? Tell me what they are. Uh, Oregon, Seattle Seahawks, uh, Chris Paul. <laughs> Seahawks. I just threw that one in there randomly. Yeah. Um, if Oregon, if Oregon isn't good in college Red football, Sox, Red Sox, of sure, of course, Celtics, anything Boston, you're totally messing. <laughs> yes, <right now>. obviously. <laughs> okay. The best is how how much everyone thinks I care about like Patriots wins and losses. Um. So anyway, because I'm from Boston, live there, that's just the way it goes. I wish I were from nowhere. I wish I were from the Dakotas somewhere. Right. Just 
just nowhere, right? And then you just, it would be impossible because that's just the way, anytime there's any kind of label to put on anything, the masses will generally be like, oh, well, that's just because of this. And you're like, well, it isn't, but as long as it's easy for you to get from A to B. So there are little things. There are players that I'll stick up for more than others, but I'm usually doing it for a reason. Like Ryan Clark's rant about why Russell Westbrook is treated one way and Steph Curry is treated the other way on Twitter. I love Ryan. It was a terrible angle. All I would have to do is say, hey, Ryan, watch one off the ball and then watch the other one off the ball, and you tell me who's more important to his team. Done. And that's not bias. That's just that's just straight-up basketball. Football, I don't know. Sometimes I can find myself being biased against a movement, and then that's temporary anyway, so there's no long-term effects of being like, I can't believe you know people out there are saying they like this team or they like this player, or I can't believe people out there are knocking this team or this player. So that's about it. No one is at 0%, but I don't... I think, I I think don't, people would say that you... Um, and I don't think this is true, but that you stump for the SEC, like you defend the SEC a lot. Yeah, but no, I think you I, truly believe that, like, people who knock the SEC are are incorrect and, and dumb. Yeah, the SEC, and I also worked next to Danny for a year and a half, and that was absolutely brutal every time this came out because he he was seriously just he thought it was propaganda, and I think there were some ACC coaches in his ear that told him it's all propaganda, and then he kind of like collectively. He thought he was – I think Danny thought he was playing this angle where it's like, oh, the SEC's popular. I'm going to go the other way, and that's that's one of the paths that I'll carve out for myself. And, look, he was an ACC quarterback and a really good one. So I think that there's some competitive pride there with all that. But, I mean, just it ended up becoming comical to the point, like, when you looked at the SEC and you looked at the draft picks and you just go, well, what is this? And Canell's new thing about why the SEC has so many draft picks is because they have more teams. And it's so bad. It's so bad. And I just go, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not touching this. So the SEC thing, I know I get called out on a lot, but it's, I mean, it's really funny. I mean, I I went to school in Vermont. So why, why would I do it? It's like, oh, it's because you're ESPN. No one ever, not once, not never ever, in as long as I've been there has been like, hey, you know, pump up the SEC a little bit. Most people from the outside are just flat out wrong about the way the opinion thing works at ESPN for, um, for, you know, us, by the way, I just, I could totally distracted. First takes headline right now about the DeAndre Ayton story. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> the graphic is actually, is $10,000 a bargain for DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> oh my God, that is so good. I haven't heard any of the segment because I don't have the audio up because I'm hoping that, um, well, look, I'm hosting a top-rated podcast, so I can't I can't have other people yelling in the background. Okay, so that's that's the preface to all of this. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. I can't stand the Rockets. I will root against them no matter who's <laughs> playing against them. I am admitting my bias right now. I am telling you I'm not rooting for your team. I don't think this is a breaking news segment to a lot of people that have heard this over the years. You've understood my frustrations with Harden. Um, I love Daryl Morey. I've known him probably longer than any front office executive in the NBA. We're not best buds or anything like that, 
but I really like him. I respect the hell out of him. I love his story. I love what he's done. And he found a way last year. And the way people talk about this Warriors team, and I think Van Gundy's maybe a little to blame for this, but when Jeff was doing games saying, hey, this team's going to win seven, maybe ten next, the next ten championships, you're like, hold on. I mean, that's ridiculous. But it seemed impossible for this team to be even challenged where they didn't lose any playoff games, really, uh, the, the previous year. I was going through it the other day. I think it was, what, did they lose three playoff games um, when they had their run? Yeah, if I'm looking at 16-17, the Warriors swept the Trailblazers 4-0. That's usually what sweep means. Swept the Jazz, swept the Spurs, beat the Cavs in five games, although people love pointing to that Cavs series going, well, if game... If game three went this way, then then it's tied up, and then you never know what's going to happen. You're like, no, because it wouldn't have been tied up. But last year, 4-1 Spurs, 4-1 Pelicans, and 4-3 Rockets, and down to the Rockets. Daryl created an approach with D'Antoni, a roster, where is people have been down on the Warriors now because it just looks different and hasn't looked as good. It is... It is something, just try to remember like where your head was at with the NBA playoffs when the Rockets and Warriors played, especially after game one, where all the TNT guys looked at each other and started dying laughing, going, this ain't going to work. And it felt like, yeah, wait a minute, what? Like all this ISO stuff, like you're going to try to do this? Like you're really going to try to do it this way? And it still almost worked. Had they not missed 27 straight threes, it might have worked. Had Chris Paul not hurt his hamstring, it might have worked. We could be talking about Golden State trying to get revenge on the Rockets. So I respect that so much. I just do. I, it, this is, hey, we know our team isn't good. This is the approach we're going to do. Let's just go ahead and do it this way. And then Bill Simmons had Daryl on recently and kind of tongue-in-cheek was like, did you ruin basketball? And he's like, no, we didn't ruin basketball. And a lot of the stuff that Daryl brings up is awesome because you go, you know, for – for the longest time, hey, let's do this. Run on first and second down, establish a run. Well, that's stupid. Take less threes. Establish the post in basketball. That's stupid. You know, let's keep pitchers in six, seven innings no matter what. Well, that's stupid. There's so many things that have happened in sports in a very short amount of time where the smart people figured it out, cracked the code a little bit, and have changed the approach. And that's what the Rockets are. And so in a time where you had to construct a roster and an approach to beat maybe maybe the most talented basketball team of all time, he was able to find a way to get up in that series and still almost win it. But they didn't, and the Warriors won another ring. And that's where it leaves us right now. I would never see a team ruin basketball because they took a lot of threes. But what the Rockets have done post-game one is so embarrassing. After game one of not getting calls in their eyes, they leaked this report about this summary of, of missed calls in Game 7 of the previous year's playoffs. They actually, not insinuated, stated flat out, it cost us a title and about $20 million. That's terrible. And that's why I'll root against the Rockets. And for Harden to get out there after Game 1 and say, hey, just want a fair chance. When he's been fouled on contested threes like 70 times, 65 times more than the next guy, and granted, his attempts alone 
when they had to keep this thing afloat, where he, where he saved the season. And despite my dislike, I've admitted I would vote for him for MVP because I'm so impressed in what he was able to do to watch it. And for anyone that thinks they know, like, if you're going, hey, it's landing area or solo, you know, like, that's a foul, that's a foul, that's a foul. If you can't see the difference between what he's trying to do on certain shots when Van Pelt Show ran this, where when he's open, he's up and down, and when at the end of game one, he's flailing at Draymond, there's a couple other ones that are close. The first Clay one, he swings his arms down on Clay, but Clay does get into him a little bit. But Harden, to his brilliance, figured this out in a way no one else has ever done. But it doesn't mean that's good. That, to me, is ruining the game. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And for the Rockets and Harden, after the fact, to act like this oppressed, scorned thing where they've been wronged in such a magnificent way, to say, hey, let's leak this to make us look good, to spin the story for the next 48 hours, to maybe think the NBA needs 30 ministers of propaganda for every franchise, that is why... Under this current creation, I will root against the Rockets. So don't tell me or say, hey, I think you're biased. I am. I'm telling you I am. I never want this thing to win. I can't stand it. And it's terrible. It's awful to watch. It sucks. What else? What else do you need from me? Because I don't want there to be any gray area on this. And I don't think there would be. So what is it? where does this leave you with your boy Chris Paul then? Because he is, he was bad in game one. Like I just, I, I think he was kind of bad. He was the worst guy in game two. I thought as well. The Livingston foul, like there's contact at the top, the three that went in. But but when people watch that and see him try to side somersault into somebody, and then go, yeah, it's a foul. Don't you get that the refs, especially when they're tuned in a little bit more and their prep is probably better because it's a big time playoff game and there's a little bit more rest here and these are the better officials. That they're going to say, hey, you know what, you know, let's let's watch out here. And the funny thing is, is game two, the only time Harden really tried to get contact, I thought it was one, maybe two, is the Durant one at the end of the first half. And he pushed off again, and he went up and and did all these things. So here's here's what I don't understand about the Rockets. You think this is smart? You think this is Phil Jackson talking about offensive fouls with a certain big? Or protecting his guy Shaq before the playoffs and just planting that little seed. And here, Draymond complains so much. I can't believe he doesn't get a technical every five minutes. So this isn't liking one team and disliking the other team. Draymond's totally out of control. And whenever you get this many texts, I think it comes down to selfishness. You're putting yourself and your own emotions ahead of the team. Rasheed Wallace, the best example of it ever. Got a million texts in Portland, didn't care, didn't respect anybody, goes to Larry Brown, stops getting texts. Not completely, but you understand the point. Kerr is out of control. Kerr has admitted, I kind of can't believe the way I act. I do think there's part of this where when you're thinking about the 1% and the way the minds of these players work, as special as you have to be to get to this point. You know, when I was talking to my good friend Matt Bushman, who's on the Blue Jay staff now, right? So they were playing the Angels, they were in town, and we were talking about just different things. And he made a great point. He goes, being around the big leaguers every single day, you know, there's the special, special talents that no matter what, 162, they're putting up their numbers, and it's just the way they are. They're that special. But there's so many guys in the league that just have this mentality of kind of a Dustin Pedroia thing, where it's bleep everybody. I know I'm good. I need to figure this out. It's the same thing for basketball. The elite guys are fine, but the elite guys also are the most out of control now in the complaints too. 
And they think – I actually like this Danny Cannell comparison. When we were talking about Grayson Allen, Danny nailed it. He's like, Grayson's like that kid that you grew up with that is just such a spaz that he can't help himself. He's just like a total out-of-control – foul thing, freaks out, you know, one of those guys. And guys that know, know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm I'm thinking that, you know, Harden, Harden to sit there and say after game one, I just want a fair chance. That's like Jeter saying, I hope I meet somebody when he was with the Yankees. Like you just can't, you can't be the guy complaining about not getting calls. But in his head, he's thinking, if you've given me this all regular season, even if it's wrong, if I've tricked you all regular season and it's to my advantage, you can't stop calling this now. So that's actually where I get, I'm not going to say I'm sympathetic to Harden, but I get his thought process. And that's the thought process of every one of these guys is that there's never a, hey, you know what? You're right. I fouled them. Or, yeah, that was off of me. I'm not saying it's 0%, but it's less than 10. The rest of it is, I'm being wrong because I'm so driven. I'm so competitive. I'm so, I'm only seeing this through the eyes that benefit myself because these guys are even more selfish than your average dude walking around because they have more of a right to be selfish about the whole thing. So I don't know that I can really add to that Rockets thing other than to, to leak this deal out was, was really weird. There's more to it that unfortunately I can't share and I, I hope they lose. So. There you go. My thought was, you know, <laughs> I, I'm with you on most of this stuff, like, and I'm and I'm with you that like, if for Harden, I would be upset if I'm like, okay, this is what I've done my entire you know, for the last what five whatever plus years since he's been with the Rockets. Like, Seven, I yeah. I manipulate the referees, right? This is what I do, and then I and then I never get this call when it actually matters. Like, I get why that would be frustrating. Um, but yeah, but you know what? Wah. I'm yeah, sorry. No, I get because it. I mean, every other team, and the only people that will be upset about this are Rockets fans. And trust me, I hear from you all the time. And I'm sorry, man. Every one of you Rockets fans that wants to act like, and look, you're selfish too. This is your enjoyment. This is your team. The things that you want. I I know the routine, man. I've only dealt with it with a different fan base on every different season of any sport for the entire time I've done this. Because whatever team is up that everybody's like, eh, I don't really know. You feel like you're being persecuted. You feel like you're the ones that everybody's wrong about. No, no, you guys are wrong. You guys are totally wrong. Because if somebody was doing this for the Dallas Mavericks and you lost that team in the playoffs, you'd be losing your minds, firing off the same exact tweets to us saying, this is unbelievable. I can't believe the NBA lets this happen. So I don't want to hear from anybody from Houston. Zero. Well, what do you think about this, too? Because, you know, I think the Rockets clearly believed – not believe, but in the back of their minds, they're like, "Hey, if we if we play, if you know, if we play them straight up, there's we're not going to win. There's we're, we just don't have a chance. We're not as good." And I think most people would agree with that, including themselves, if they really dug down deep. So, is it like a guerrilla warfare type tactic where they're like, "We need to muck this thing up. We need to like complain. We need to like make it not about the game. We need to make it not about hard missing shots. We need to make it about other things to take the, to take the Warriors out of their game." Like, is it a tactic that they're trying to use? Yeah, I believe I believe that it's like an all all in approach. Like I don't want to dump on the math from the report that I read in Zach Lowe's thing and from the Athletic because I would want to sit next I know it's really easy to like and I was reading some well look I read the whole thing and some of it made me think well wait a minute you're just giving yourself an expected point total here on this one because this foul didn't happen and this don't miss 27 threes would probably be the first thing I would say. Yeah. I'd like to sit next to the person that did it and figure that out. Okay? And here's the other thing games 1 and 2 Houston I think it's taken more free throws. That was actually the great thing about game two. Like that made me wonder, like, did somebody call in from the NBA that has enough juice? Cause that would have been a stern thing back in the day, but did somebody call 
both coaches in both locker rooms or whatever and find a way to be like, hey, you need to shut up. Stop. You know? Because let me check again. I'm pretty sure more free throws. Yeah, more. it was even in free throws, 25 to 24. Foul calls. Um, Steph's got to stop fouling, man. Um, more guys are called for fouls there. And then, let's see, game one I think it was even. So after game one where they acted like they couldn't get a break, they took 29 free throws to 27 for Golden State. And they were called for 21 fouls. Golden State was called for 24. So that's, that's the other thing. So sometimes, too, with the free throw differential, you can sit there and say, well, um, this team played this way, the other team played that. Like, that's that's something I think is true. Like, sometimes fans will just go, well, how come we took less free throws? Because like, you don't have one guy that drives. Think how many free throws the Rockets take, and it's not like guys are attacking the hoop the entire time other than Harden. Although Eric Gordon's been really good and totally, I don't want to say overlooked, but God. I mean, you just can't think about that. You have Paul and Harden, and you can't really leave Gordon when it's the third guy out there. But then on the other side, you look at what Golden State has, and Harden in this ISO thing, or excuse me, Durant in this ISO thing, and it's not just when he has Harden. Chris Paul actually does a pretty good job standing up. Some of these shots, I think even more so at the end of game one, are so ridiculous that Houston's like, okay, I know it's Durant, but... Well, we're okay with, with letting him take that shot. I mean, Golden State doesn't really even look like Golden State. So I think that there's a lot of things that Houston is doing that are working. Like, think about Golden State and the cutting and the repositioning of yourself and the rescreening and everybody moving around, and that's why it's so hard to defend them because guys keep moving and cutting later in the shot clock than other teams do. And, and now they're not really, they don't really do that as much because Durant is on this incredible run. Um, but one thing I, from a basketball, like, hey, this is something I would think about if I were Houston. If you're going to try to switch Curry into Harden, and if you look at some of the stuff that they're doing, um, Houston is trying whatever they can to funnel Curry to Harden. But Golden State's doing this really good job of kind of switching after the switch and pre-switching and all these different things where they just keep assigning, like, would be like, Steph, go back, go back, go back. Say they get Curry onto Harden, then Harden waits. And then Curry can just have somebody else shade up close to him, then they switch back. Harden can't wait. I rarely will say I think an NBA coach will do this because I know I don't know it as well as them, but I would bet you in game three when they get to switch, they'll attack quicker because it's too obvious. It's too obvious. Why would you go through all of that effort of 14 seconds in the shot clock to get the switch onto Curry to then let them give it or switch it right back to what they want to do. And if you go back three years when Golden State ended up losing to Cleveland in the finals, one thing I thought Golden State did a really bad job of is they allowed themselves to get switched into bad matchups, and you know Kyrie and, and LeBron and those guys went off. Houston's getting the bad matchup, but they're not attacking it. So the rest of the series... <laughs> Uh, Portland, Denver, watched that one last night. Not surprised that Portland came back and won. I think that that series is pretty close. And, you know, Lillard wasn't even good in game two, which is a great sign for Portland. The canner stretch, um, Denver got back into that, but I'm not blown away by either team. And I think it'll be a long series. And I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I picked, I picked Portland there in that one. Um, Boston and Milwaukee. 
Boston did exactly what they thought they'd do in game one, getting long twos, exploiting the way Milwaukee defends them. I also didn't love Milwaukee's defense at times, and I also thought if you look at at the way Giannis was bottled up by Boston's defense in game one, secondary players just weren't ready to go. So if you're going to dump it behind Brooke Lopez for threes, and it wasn't transition trail threes, it was kind of let me just hand it back to you, that's not necessarily going to work. And you knew Giannis was going to go off. He goes off in game two. You can have this system to try to slow him down. He was more ready for it. Boston had an awful offensive stretch where they just missed and turned the ball over the entire time. So always, always, always beware of the game one overreaction because it was like, oh, Boston, Toronto, here we go. And credit to Philly because this group with only two years at it, and it's not even this group really because this is kind of their first year with Butler and Harris, but Philly, you want to say they were tested a little bit against Brooklyn? All right, yeah, I mean, there's there was times where it's like, hey, we got to lock in and be better than them because we are. But I think the game two win at Toronto is, as of now, the biggest sign of toughness from the Sixers that we just weren't sure about. And if they didn't have it last year, that's totally fine. Younger team, still can't believe they lost to the Celtics that quickly in the series. Um, but, you know, Philly was, Philly was one of those weird end of the regular season teams where we probably ended up thinking they were a lot better than they actually were because they were just beating teams that all wanted to lose. So that's where I'm at with the playoffs right now. But I do love Saruti, the um, the bigger implications as far as what all this stuff means. Because this is where it's like getting really I, – I I don't like that the NBA – it's like, all right, let, once the draft is over, that's when it really starts getting fun. But that's kind of where we're at with all of these guys. No, it feels good to finally have – I mean – we we wanted to see these four teams in the East, right? We you know I think the West is a little bit weirder than it has been in the past because you're like, wow, the Nuggets or the Blazers are going to be in the conference final. That's weird, but um, but the East, I mean this this East run is awesome, and it's I mean, who if you had to pick right now, who comes out of the East? Toronto. I I agree. The fact that Siakam is a guy who, you know, maybe we can let you get it going a little bit if if Kawhi has a bad stretch. It's not that they just added Kawhi. It feels like they added two stars. And I don't, you know, when you when you sit here and be like, would you rather have Siakam than DeRozan? <laughs> that seems a little ridiculous, but it's not a ridiculous question. I mean, it seems a little like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, but in today's game, I'm not even talking contract and age and all those things, but, you know, DeRozan's a good player. He's not great. And... uh They've upgraded DeRozan to Kawhi, and it's like, oh, by the way, magically, this other guy's going to improve to the point where he might be the most improved player in the NBA. And Lowry's had some better games. He's still not shooting it great from distance, but he's he's been better than his disastrous start to his his playoff career. I feel like there was more. I never played the Draymond sound. Should we have thrown the Draymond sound in there a little bit? We I could. think I kind of went. Have it. I have a question. I think I went about as too. as ham as I could go on the Rockets there without sounding like a total jerk, but. I have, a, I have a question for you, actually, though, about uh, about the Celtics. Can we play the Draymond quote quick? Yeah, here we go. Let me just play it because I want to hear it. Hold on. Everyone was aware of all the talk about officiating and about foul calls. Come out and play the game. And I think both teams did a great job of that. They weren't complaining about many calls. We weren't complaining about many calls because it's kind of embarrassing for the game of basketball. 
how much has been talked about about fouls and officiating. Like, what about beating your man? What about stopping your man? No one talked anything about schemes the last two days. It's all been about foul calls. So I think both teams were just locked in on coming out and playing the game to the best of their ability. And, and you got to give credit to both clubs. Uh, both teams did that. I really like the premise of that whole thing, but coming from him, you're like, wait a minute, what? So what is that, a promise the rest of the way? Because <laughs> it's not going to be. He can't He can't help himself. He can't. I'm glad that last tech got rescinded for he and Nene because it was just Ed Malloy, dude. What is up? I remember when I first started watching Ed Malloy, and I guess he's kind of a Joey Crawford disciple, Philly guy, whatever, pretty good player when he's younger. But I'm like, this guy is one of those dudes that kind of loves giving out the text. When he threw out Durant and Beverly and he started doing that sort of Broadway rain dance thing, it was like jumping up in the air. It actually was a bit like river dance. And he just started like pointing to where guys needed to go as he was emphatically chucking them out. Like somebody should watch, somebody should sit him down, watch a video and be like, if it were a player, be like, all right, this screen, you got to get stronger in your base and you got to turn the guy this way. Somebody be like, Hey Ed, when you're chucking guys out, less Michael flatly. That's all. That's all. Uh, did I, did I do enough? I didn't, I feel like I almost, and I didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, Chris Paul's been brutal. He's always been an unlikable player to watch as far as the antics. I just always have respected his game. And as of right now, there isn't a ton there except for an aggressive first quarter when Harden was out with the eye thing where, you know, I thought, okay, you know, Chris is going to go here. Chris had some moments against the, the Utah Jazz, but if you're asking me to defend his antics and all that stuff, I'm not going to do that. I can't. The way he runs into screens or the way someone trails him and he stops and gets run over, he's done it He's done it twice in this series, and he got calls both times. Signature move. Signature move, and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Hey, when do I get to start being worried about Jason Tatum? Um, Worried, worried? I think you got to wait until next year. How about that? Okay. I think he's averaging four points in this series, obviously. <laughs> limited sample size. Did you watch? But- did you watch him close out? Game two against the Pacers. Uh, I mean, I watched that game, so yeah, I must have. I mean, because that was like, oh, wait a minute, this is why we all like him. No, so I know, much. and he, I, I get it, but yeah. I don't, I don't know, you know, and I'm, I'm like, it's I, frustrating. Oh no, it's frustrating. Because you and saw it, that stat on Twitter, I forget, it was the, it was the Jazz radio guy, and I'm forgetting his name, David Locke, maybe, but he was like, he's he was 95th of 95 guys in ISO situations this year, and I saw a meme basically blame that on Kobe, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> working with Kobe hey, in the off season, but dirty little know. secret. I had never watched that Kobe detail thing. The one I watched on Giannis was awesome. Yeah, they're pretty good. It's really good. It's like little stuff. I mean, it goes back and forth, but he's just sitting there breaking it down. But yeah, we want to blame Kobe for that one. If you want to give me like real concern, it's never going to work out for Tatum. Not like work out, not work out. But I mean, he, he, we were talking. You know, is he the youngest? You know, is he is he the best young player in the game? Kind of thing last year, like you know, and I and yeah, I, what's his ceiling? Top, yeah, and I think I love he, when he, guys he, say top five, like, top five. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how hard your top five list is right now? It's pretty. It's pretty, yeah. I mean, Simmons was like, "Let's do it." I was like, I, I, "Can I not?" I'm like, "I don't know what I would." And do it right just changes now. all the time, and I think, uh, especially, I mean, obviously the order, but and it's, it goes back to my theory of we just always anoint guys after like limited sample sizes before the league really has any chance to sort of react and i know it's a different team situation this year and it was a whole mess with gordon and whatnot but i don't know i just you know i i'm getting a little worried that's all i'll say i've been wrong before you know what would be funny is if 
the Pelicans ended up liking Brown more. It was like, ah. They, they had a meeting where they all said the same thing. We're like, oh, man, Tatum, he's off. Let's get Jalen Brown. And then, because you're not going to get both. And then Tatum ends up going back to who he was, and they end up having. Yeah, maybe he won't. Maybe Tatum won't with Kyrie. I, I'm I'm not telling you you're wrong here at all. I just think that before it's, hey, remember we thought Tatum was going to be really good, and now it's kind of disappointing? I got to see another year of disappointment before I'd be ready to write him off. Is that fair? I think it's whole, I'm still I'm I'm just saying look out for it. I'm I I'm not trying to freak out cuz I've gotten ahead of myself before for sure. I've been wrong on a million different things, but I don't know. I just he he I think we expected it cuz it, but it's the same thing that happened with Ben Simmons, right? You know, you just assume he's going to take this next big leap and then they kind of struggle in their second year and everyone's like, "Oh, did we, you know, you know, do we do we annoy this guy too early?" Um I don't know. Hey, look, hold that thought because I think it's you're you're getting into something that I think is really good, and I want to bring that up. All right, okay. Before we write anybody off, though, you should think about yourself because applying for a loan is a lot like applying for a job that you don't get to interview for. Instead, loan companies make their decisions based off your credit score and history without getting to know the whole you. Now, thanks to Upstart.com, it never has to be that way again. Upstart is revolutionizing the way you borrow money by rewarding you for your job experience and education in the form of a smarter interest rate. Now, here's the deal. If you're starting out and we know it's a little tight and you want to make that big move and you're like, I'm chasing my dreams, hey, Nashville, I have music in my heart, something like that, this could be something that helps that get started. Unlike traditional credit underwriting, which could be biased against people with a short credit history, Upstart goes beyond the traditional FICO score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes that you're more than just your credit score. They make it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate in less than two minutes without affecting your credit score. It's a big deal. The best part, once your loan is approved, the funds will be transferred to you the very next business day. That's the next day. Over 100,000 people have used Upstart to pay off their debts, student loans, fund their wedding, or to make a large purchase, free yourself from the burden of high-interest debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Rosillo, that's R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes two minutes, and it won't affect your credit score. That's upstart.com slash Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. You were just touching on something, Saruti, that I want to pick up on. Because the daily legacy stuff with this is brutal. It's brutal. And, you know, in Draymond's quote when he said, why don't you, you know, it's embarrassing we're talking about the rest. Yeah, it was. It sucked. But you know what? Know who loves it? TV shows and radio hosts. Because it's way easier to talk about calls than it is, like, yeah, I'm just better than a lot of those guys. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know anybody else who's a non-player who would point out how slow Harden goes after he gets the screen on Curry. So to say, hey, guys should be talking about the basketball more, most of your host and opinion people, folks, listening to this podcast, they don't want to because it's hard or they're incapable of noticing anything. So this is talk radio heroin, man. Oh, refs, what does it mean? What does it mean? And the other thing it means, too, is it's not a basketball breakdown of how Giannis, you know, got going a little bit earlier and some of these other little things or the the drop-off of what you have to deal with 
on, you know, I think feel like Portland defensively got into one mode against the Russell and Adams approach versus, wait a minute, we have to do this. We have to be different. We have to think differently here with Jokic in the center. And I think that freaked them out a little bit in game one. Most opinion people don't want to do that stuff. They want to talk about all that. And that's the other thing, too, that happens is that, okay, so game one, if you voted Giannis MVP, no problem with that. If you voted Harden MVP, no problem with that. But game one, Giannis, it's like, wait, <laughs> thought this guy was good. <laughs> what's what's this all about? <laughs> MVP? Wait a minute, can you really carry a team? Boom, 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 right? Kyrie now. Like, oh, we're all the people after game one. We're all the Celtics are better without Kyrie. And then he stunk in game two. It's like, man, he just too many shots, too many shots. How about this rule? Can't win with him as your number one option. Right, right. If you're really good, and it's been established you're really good, like even with Harden, Mr. Flameout in huge playoff moments, now he's, yeah, I don't really know if I trust that guy. Like, just think how you thought about Harden just a few days ago, before game one. This incredible offensive season. And it's, now it's, you know what he is? He's a manipulator of calls. And first of all, when somebody says that, I'm like, manipulate, where have you been for the last, it's kind of the last five years, but I went through all of his free throw stuff and like there's a, it's not significant except for one year, but there's always a drop off from regular season to playoff calls, despite the fact that the usage stays pretty consistent. So, you know, some have argued, well, the free throws go down because the usage goes down. It doesn't, the usage doesn't really go down. Oh, he's tired. There's no way Harden should ever be tired. There's none. There's, there's no way. They switch everything. And on offense, maybe Harden can be tired, but the rest of the guys can't. Like if Chris Paul at one point, if somebody says he's tired, no, he, Chris Paul doesn't get to be tired. But the point that I'm getting at here is that it's Lillard does what he does in the first round against the Thunder, it's like, hey, are we sleeping on Lillard? No. Everyone that knows has said he's been the third best guard this year. And that's about where he is. And he's awesome, and there's a ton of really good guards. And unfortunately, Harden and Curry are in front of him. And then it turns into the Curry stuff. Like Durant went so crazy in game six, people thought that Curry had a bad game six. Look at Curry's numbers of the playoffs. And it's like, eh, I don't really... And here's the thing with Curry is I think when... We expect Curry to be Curry. It's an 11, 12 point barrage in the third quarter. You know what I mean, Suruti? It's that barrage in the third quarter where it's like, oh, okay, Curry's just pulling up from 30 feet, mm-hmm. hit three in a row. He got an and one. He's got 12 points. Warriors just won this game in the third quarter. Durant through those playoff games to score 200 points in five or more games, or it's not five or more games, over five games. It was LeBron. It was Iverson. And it was Jordan. So I'm telling I would admit that there are moments with Curry where it have, we haven't had enough Curry moments of him really going off. So it looks like he's not at his own standard. And some of that I'm willing to accept, but straight up a collection of bad games. No, but that's what's happening is that every single game, it's going from one pendulum swing where it's like, man, this guy, are we sleeping on him? And 48 hours later, we'll talk about the same dude and be like, I don't know if this guy's a one. I don't know if this guy's a one. Okay, let's talk some football. McShay, he's ready to go. Before we do that, I want to let you know the Rosillo Show podcast is brought to you by Burrow. Burrow is rethinking how people shop 
and live with their furniture. That's pretty interesting how they phrase that, Surdy. I'm just leaving that right in there. Think about that. How people shop for and live with. It's almost like the furniture is your roommate. Burroughs making high-quality sofas. Yeah, there you go, McShay. Get in there. Uh, high-quality sofas that are customized <laughs> online, ship for free in one week, and set up in minutes. And here's the deal. It's scratch and stain resistant, so you can live your life worry-free. i got to tell you, I like my Burrow couch because I can move all the different pieces around, and I ordered it online. I'm like, ooh, that's awesome. USB, height, everything. I don't want to say that this furniture company is overselling a little bit. Does this mean if I have another piece of the so all the rest of the worries in my life are gone because I know that my my couch isn't going to stain? Or, I, we might need to ask someone in sales. Be like, if, so if my couch isn't scratching, that means just my day to day. I'm in a better mood because then you should buy more of these couches. Built in USB two charger. And a dog, bud. I know. I gotta get. I, I, I gotta send you over a love chair. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Built-in USB so you never have to get up. A sofa that grows with you. Burrows are easy to set up for anything you have going on in your living room and to disassemble. You can also make it bigger at any time. Fabric that is free of harmful chemicals and a frame made from sustainably sourced hardwood. Designed for comfort. Exactly 17 inches off the ground because that's the average height from the bottom of a person's foot to the back of their knee. Customize every detail. Pick comfy low armrest or stylish high armrests. Proprietary foam is supportive yet super cozy. Compliment your sofa with four unique pillow collections. Pick your style or mix and match. Go crazy. Mid-century, bohemian, industrial, rustic, one of each. Like, who's your, who's your guy? Who's your pillow guy? Me, right here. You're looking at him. Soft hand woven fabric covers and plush inserts. Burrow was recently named one of the best inventions of 2018 by Time Magazine. And you can get $75 off your award winning Burrow sofa by visiting burrow.com slash Rosillo. That's R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash Rosillo to get $75 off your order. Thanks again to Burrow. For supporting the Rosillo Show podcast, and a big you thank you. Again? Hey, by the way, you know when you're interrupting during reads, <laughs> Todd. I know you're tired. Uh, I'm just trying to help. Are you? Um, what what no. did you have to? I, I cut I cut you off though because I could. I, I just want to know how you spell Rosillo. Make sure everyone knows how to spell Rosillo. I already I did it the first time. Okay, I wasn't listening. <laughs> I hope this is not a harbinger um, for the rest of this. Let's sit down. Here we go. Okay, let's. Uh, what are you? What are you done? Are you out of are you out of Bristol today, and then back. Yeah, I'm out of Bristol. I'm in Boston at the Newton Studio. Dropped the 2020 mock drop. My favorite. Oh, so you're you're not even. Now. Oh, you're not even in Bristol right now. Oh wow. No, I'm in I'm in I'm in mess. Newton. Yeah, I, I remember I, that I made, studio. I made comments that the Patriots are vulnerable, and I feel like I'm trying to avoid every police officer on the highway now. Yeah, that's the thing about if you rip if you rip the pats and you live in Boston, you actually you're going to need protection. Yeah, you can't idea. call the I cops didn't rip to help. Them. I didn't rip them. I just said they're What'd vulnerable. You say? Like, what team? What team isn't vulnerable? Right? Them. But they're vulnerable, and now Sports Center wants to do every single hit on that. How you, are they not vulnerable? With, with Trey Flowers, Rob Gronkowski, Brady's what forty two, forty three? He'll be forty two August third. Gotcha. Although he's posting content like he turned sixty. Since the Super Bowl, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. He just from a social. But he media, looks he, like he's eighteen. Yeah, he aged twenty years though on social media. Be like, this will be a good tweet. And you're like, Ew. April Fool stuff, yeah, man. I, I've said enough. I've said enough. I'm out. 
You know better than that, though. You know better. You should be thinking about your last day that you have to work, and then no one's like you get to disappear. This is my favorite part about you. Oh story. yeah, I just dis- I disappear more. <laughs> we won't hear from you again until when? I don't. Well, I, I'll work for the next two months, and then in July I'll, I'll take a bunch of time. You know, I, I get kids. Like it's nice to be around and reintroduce them to dad. And hey, I am your dad. Remember me. <laughs> Um, but then I'll start doing TV again in August. Okay, but all right. This is a a work-from-home deal. I guess the whole point that I'm making here, because I want to get to the, the good stuff here, I'm, I'm taking yeah, too yeah. long here, is that you know better than the last day that you're around to say anything controversial that SportsCenter is going to want. You should have said something like, I think my biggest takeaway from everything is I like Cincinnati's depth at linebacker. And then, all right, all right we don't we No, don't I know. Them. I know. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk quarterbacks. The Daniel Jones thing, I'd heard about it. I was like, is that really going to happen? Is it really going to happen? Your first reaction to it as general manager, like if you if you were running the Giants and your assistant GM was like, I love Daniel Jones, I think that's the pick, what would you say to your assistant general manager? Well, I think there are two parts to this. The first is, philosophically, I agree with what they did, if that's your guy. if The evaluation is the second part, and that's the part I disagree with. But if you evaluate all these quarterbacks and you say, you know what, Kyler's going to go one, whether they like him or not, but of all the other quarterbacks, we love this guy. And we think he's going to be the next Eli or better. Then you got to take him at six. I, I applaud them for doing that part of it. It's just the evaluation that I, I completely disagree with. Now, there are other people who, who thought that he was worthy of a first-round pick. I don't, I don't grade any player by round it's by what you think they're going to be and then you kind of plug it in rounds by that and if you take a player at six really anywhere in the first round but if you take a quarterback at six you're saying that we're drafting a a potential pro bowl type quarterback i didn't see that tape I, i really didn't and i i've sat with the guy i've sat with david cutcliffe as head coach i i know about his background i know how good of a guy he is i know how tough he is because i stood on the field and watched clemson kick his ass and he he repeatedly got up and got I, at one point i think in the broadcast i said you know what if i was Cutcliffe, i would just take him out at this point you know the game was out of out of hand and they were just beating him up and he kept bouncing back so i love that part of him i love the fact that he he can when he takes off to run and gets going he's got some speed and can pick up some first downs i think he's very intelligent too but I think he processes things on the field slower than you would like, you know, an elite level quarterback to. I think his his delivery is a little bit slower than ideal, and I don't think while he's fast, I don't think he is able to create space in the pocket without dropping his eyes very effectively. Not nearly as well as Kyler or Tua or or some of these other guys. So to me, he was more of a second, third rounder that you take and you. you you bring him in as a backup, you develop him, and hopefully one day he's a solid starter. But I, at number six overall, I, I just I never saw that on tape. I just never saw that on tape. And there are a lot of guys who agree with me in the league, and there are obviously guys in the league that, that disagree with me. That was the getting your ass kicked evaluation. That was part of my Tyler Wilson evaluation, and that was misleading. Arkansas quarterback against Alabama. I'm like, man, he's getting destroyed. Look how tough yeah. he is. Next time, next time I'm going to do stuff where it's like, hey, instead of getting destroyed and showing how tough you are, play better. 
in that game. <laughs> those are those are one of the things that but I've done know, about my evaluation. See, it, it, it's I good like, to see. You got to have the talent with it, but yeah, I mean, there are some guys that you evaluate and, and they cower. You know, after taking a bunch of hits, you, you start to worry: can they can they handle that? And you know, it's, like Baker Mason was a great was was a great evaluation watching him in the uh was it the Rose Bowl I think it was he got he got beat up and he I don't know if he was fully there mentally towards the end but he was still walking up and down the sideline I was there screaming at his offensive lineman like let's go we got this we're gonna win you know just he has he has that in him in addition to obviously the physical stuff you know who got beat up a lot which he's now dealing with absolute character assassination is Rosen. Yeah. Would you yep. agree but with me there that he took yes, some... But but I also... He did. Like, the Texas A&M game is, you know, famous for it. But but he he's part of the problem there. You know what I mean? Yeah. His, his inability... His, his inability to move and, and create his own space inside the pocket is part of the reason he gets beat up. Now, the offensive line for Arizona was terrible. I think they were like 26 in the league in, in sacks allowed. And if you just watch any game, you can see. I mean, he, he just did not have much to work with. But, I think at UCLA, though, that's my, what my notes. If you're Miami now. What, you don't or you do? No, that's what you were. If, if you're Miami and your offensive line has been an issue for, what, 10 years now? And all of a sudden now you bring in an immobile quarterback who who's on the leaner side and has had injuries just about every year, and you're you're putting him through his, what, fifth different offensive system in five years or whatever the number is, five or six years. Um, you know, it, you're not – Josh Rosen has not been put in a position to succeed in this league, and I worry about the same thing happen, happening in Miami, even though I, I think there was a no-brainer. If you're Miami, you've got to make that move. Because how are you going to get the 10th overall pick from last year's amazing quarterback draft in the second round? It's just, it just fell in their lap. They've got to do it. But, um, but can they protect him and give him a chance to succeed, or are they going to wind up picking first overall and taking two in next year, and then Rosen's going to wind up on his third team in three years? I do think Miami's trying to do more there. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, though, because I, yeah, I feel like I, I shouldn't Because my notes say that Rosen got hit more in UCLA because he was waiting for separation for his receivers. But, you know, whatever. We just you know, you agree go. to disagree on our valuations there. <laughs> uh, okay, then if, if we if we dig in deeper on the quarterback stuff, how is it that two teams with staff members that have done this their entire lives, I think I know some of the answer here, but I, I want the better answer from you. How is it that two organizations can see the same quarterback and see completely different things? Because that doesn't happen with other positions, really. Yeah, I mean, it, it does a little bit, but not. It doesn't seem to to occur as is. There doesn't seem to be as big of a gap at any other position besides quarterback. And this year was wild. I mean, we knew two years ago that the Joshes and Baker Mayfield, and, um, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Sam Darnold were all going to go somewhere in that top 10, top 12. And a bunch of teams liked them. Like, they liked all of them. They certainly had their own rankings of them. But it wasn't this far-off you know, evaluation where some teams this year are like, oh, Kyler, you know, late first. He goes number one overall. 
some teams were looking at, at Dwayne Haskins and saying, you know what, I, I, I don't trust him. And then Washington's dying to get him, but I'll give Bruce Allen this much credit. He, he, he knew the, the market, if you will. He, he knew the, the climate and was willing to sit there and wait and wait and wait, and finally he fell to him at 15 overall. So, and, then, and then I didn't think there was a big difference, myself personally, but then talking to guys in the league, some guys in the league had Ryan Finley from NC State rated higher than Dwayne Haskins. And some guys had Drew Locke rated higher than Dwayne Haskins. And, and um, uh, your boy uh, Daniel Jones at number six. So to see them fall to the fourth round was absolutely crazy to me. And it wasn't just me. Like I, I get it. Some, I have my own opinion. Teams have their own opin- opinions on players. But when I talk to teams, and they're pretty much done with the process in April, and I talk to general managers, like decision makers, guys that don't need quarterbacks are typically the ones that will give you the real information on what they saw, how their scouts evaluate, because they still have to evaluate these players as if they're going to take them. And multiple general managers saying either Finley or Drew Locke ahead of some of the other quarterbacks that went in the top 15 picks, and they fall to the fourth round. It was just it was mind-blowing to me. It was crazy. And I, hopefully Cincinnati and Denver wind up with, with the – steals of the lifetime and, and wind up finding the future at their quarterback spots because I, I'll, there are a lot of teams that had those players evaluated somewhere in the back half of the first round. Is the Farrell pick by Oakland ridiculous or is it is it actually kind of easy to process and go, yeah, I can see why they did that? I mean, it was ridiculously early for him. He was, by my account, and let's say best, I think the highest I heard someone tell me when I talked to teams in April was like, you know, 15, 17, that range. So to go at four was really surprising. And it it was the first pick with Mayock on board. And I, and I've said it before and people are, this isn't a knock on Mayock. Mayock didn't make the pick. John Gruden made the pick, but I, I don't know how, how much of an influence Mayock had on it or not, but I thought he was he was there to be the to provide the rudder is what I've said to kind of guide John because we've gotten to know John as an evaluator he doesn't he gives two you know what's about where everyone else has a player if he likes the guy he wants to take the guy but if you study the tape like the difference between Bosa and and Farrell is significant and so Bosa comes off the board they want an edge rusher I get it because they unloaded a pretty good one to Chicago. And all of a sudden, they just they pull the trigger on a guy at four that everyone else is looking like mid-late first round. I thought it was a mistake. But I'll also say this. If you look at their draft, they did a hell of a job. I mean, they really did. John Abram, where they got him, I know he has, he's had some, some injuries, but he is a, he's a tone setter and a leader. Uh, Josh Jacobs at running back is exactly what they're looking for, a guy who's a finisher, contact balance, power, can catch the ball. Um, you know, I thought throughout the entire draft they they did a really good job, except they reached for for Farrell at four. Rank the draft evaluators: you, oh, Mayock, geez. and Mel. <laughs> Am I leaving out someone uh, else you respect a ton? Daniel Jeremiah, maybe. Sure, yeah, sure. Kuiper, Kuiper, Jeremiah, Kuiper, Mayock, Jeremiah. Me. There you go. So from four to one. Yeah. 
take that however you, you want. No you can flip it if you want. <laughs> there's no way you're ranking yourself last. I'm joking, man. I think you'd have. I'm man I mean, how, how, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? No one's better than Kuiper. He's he's the uh, he's a legend. No on one film? is better on air than Kuiper. I mean, that guy. It's insane. I can ask him about the '73 draft, and he can go. I could just pull a string, and he can go on for five minutes. You know, I can evaluate players better. I've told them that a million times. I am a better evaluator of players. There's no question. Okay? Sit in a room with the cowboy clicker and go all day long. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out-evaluate him. But no one is better on air than him, and no one has a, a memory like him. There you go. That was, that was the answer everybody's wanted for for. Go. Years. Although, did you guys? Did you give? I didn't listen to the entire barstool thing, so I didn't. I didn't. Did you guys do that? Because I, I, I heard the part. I did tell him on there that I was a better evaluator, but he was more of a character. I think was my was my life. Ooh, character. Something that neighborhood doesn't sound like a. He was more interesting. I mean, he is. The dude doesn't have. He doesn't have an ATM card. He's never taken money out of in his life. He's he eats pumpkin pie three days a week. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, you should he, say, honestly, some of the some of the rides back from <laughs> Bristol campus, what we call campus, to the hotel, are some like the five, ten funniest minutes of my my day. It, just talking about that's how I came to real. I was like, Mel, what are you going to order tonight? I just I poke and prod at him. Now I've learned. What are you going to order for uh, room service tonight? Oh, have you have you tried the pizza time? Have you tried the pizza? Try the campus pizza or the um, the hotel pizza. I'm like, no, no. I, I usually don't get like the you know the, the pizza from uh, a Double hotel. Tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good or, call. Yeah. I, I agree with your call on that. He's like, oh, so here's what you do. You take the you take the cheese off, and then you dip it in the marinara and the crust, and you dip it in the mashed potatoes. I'm like, what? Whoa, what? <laughs> what? I mean, it's stuff like that. It's just yeah, never that's disgusting. Ended. That's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, the first yeah, part of the thing. Car bloating. Yeah. Ugh, I'm bummed out just thinking mm. it's too early for me on the West Coast to be hearing about that. Okay. Uh, what, what did you say about the Patriots that has everybody upset? Oh, you too. Yeah, I have to. You're going to do, do this job. too? All right. Uh, I said that they're vulnerable. First of all, give me a team in the league that's not vulnerable. I'm not going to downplay what I was saying. I really believe the it. Browns. Watching them last year, they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, they're, they're perfect. Uh, they won the Super Bowl. I get it. I'm just saying, for the first time ever, watching them towards the end of the stretch run last year, it started to feel like Brady was showing some decline in his play. I'm not saying he's going to suck. I'm not saying that he's, you know, that he's, it's over for him. And, I'm, and listen, I, I'm on record. He's the best quarterback I've ever seen, including Montana. Like that's, you know, that's as far back as it goes where I can give an honest assessment. And I was young. But Otto he's Graham, the best quarterback right. I've, I've, right, I've ever ever seen in my life. So I'm not I'm not here like knocking the Patriots, and I'm worried now that I'm going to get pulled over every time I drive down I-90 by the Mass State Police. But without Gronkowski, without Trey Flowers, and with with Brady clearly not playing at the same level he was three four years ago, how are they not vulnerable? And again, I think they're going to win the AFC East. They're the best team in the AFC East. I'm just saying I don't know that with some other teams rising up, I, I think that this is the first time that I look at them and say, you know what, it, it, the run might be over. That's it. 
Brady wasn't as good start to finish last year as as he normally is, which is to be expected. Like there were stretches there where you're like, huh, I don't think this is as good, and there were numbers that would have backed that up a little bit, and then they do that because. At one point, I go, why are they getting smashed by some of the worst teams in the league? Like, it hadn't happened. It hadn't, I'd gone back and looked at it, like, how many times have they lost this many games by double-digit points to anyone? And I think I had to go back to the 2005 was the last Brady season. They had lost three games by ten points or more in a regular yeah. season. So I would have, I would agree there. It's just that, why, why yeah, are they you don't do such... Get a, you don't, get, don't get on this ship with me. It's been, it's been a nightmare for three days, so. How many times have you been pulled over on I-90 prior to this? <laughs> I'm actually sitting in my car right now staring at a state policeman driving by, and I'm, I'm worried that he's going to turn on the blue lights. Yeah, like run those plates. That might be McShay's rover. Um, give me... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> why are the Patriots then so good at at plugging people in? Like, they're not even remotely worried about the lack of depth at certain positions. And I imagine no. they just go, well, look, August the cuts and there's still some free agents out there. How can they figure that's what out a Bill way? Does, that's what Bill does better than anyone in the league. Yeah. Is the, the apples to apples evaluation. We've talked about it before. The, he's, you know, he, he's up and down. He's very inconsistent in terms of his success. They've had a lot of success in some areas drafting and they've, they've been, they've really struggled with like wide receivers, running backs, defensive backs coming out of the college college ranks in the draft. But you look at what, what, what they're able to do, just plug like plucking this veteran from another team. He sees it in the NFL, and he knows it. He knows exactly what he's looking at, and he knows how he's going to use that guy too. And that's, it's not just evaluating the talent, because a lot of these guys, either prior to or post-Patriot run, they're not very good. But in New England, they are good because it's not only that he evaluates the player, he evaluates what that guy does best, and then he employs that. And that's why some weeks guys are going to be, you know, they're not even going to be on the active roster. And then the next week they're the most important player in the game play. And it's crazy. I mean, that guy's brain, his football brain is just, it's beyond me and it's beyond just about everybody out there. It's, It's insane. Nothing to add to that, so I'm going to move on to my favorite thing and your favorite thing. I miss being around for the McShay's <laughs> done with work <laughs> celebration. Um, those are those are the days. But your 2020 mock is out. It's Mike Florio's favorite uh, draft to point to when somebody doesn't get drafted a year later, as if you haven't updated this a million times. Right, um, my, that's, my guy. That, that's that's an old story. I'm probably still saltier about it than you are. And <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Rosillo off the top rope, 617. So uh, kids will have to go back and research that one if they want to find it. But yeah. uh, you have Tua going one to the Dolphins. How about Jerry Judy? My God, I feel like I feel like all year I'm like, do you guys realize how, how just sick this dude is? And now I guess everybody – I guess now everybody – does know because I didn't know that you guys all knew. Like at no point was I ever saying to you, "Hey, where would you have Jerry Judy going in 2020?" But he was sick. I would have had um, him going top ten in 2019. And he yeah, runs. He's like a four, he's like a four five guy. He's not. He's like a four four eight is what he'll probably run when he trains and and gets ready for the the forty for next year. 
Hey, you know me. But, I'm not a I'm not a forty guy is anymore. There's like a four three guy. What? Who is that? Henry Ruggs on the oh, opposite Ruggs. side. Yeah, yeah. He's got two or three receivers that are going to wind up being first round picks. Ruggs and is, Irv and there's tight end just went pro. So yeah, Irv, Irv, yeah, exactly. No, we're we're on the same page there. They had five pass catching options that are all going to play in the NFL last year, which actually this leads my point perfectly. I know you hate doing this mock draft more than anything. Yep. We want to repeat that. We want to get that out there. It's, it's the way most, too early. It's way too early. It's and the I most. Watched, and, and the, here's the worst part. I'll give it to you in 10 seconds. The worst part is I do this, and then on Monday I'm going to go into the office, and I'm going to pop in tape, and I'm going to be like, oh, damn. <laughs> I put him in the first round. You know? <laughs> and they're like, oh, man, I should have put this guy in the first round. But it, it takes two months of watching tape on, you know, 100 guys. Two, three months, so. And then you know, the jerk is saying, well, why don't you just do more tape before you do this? Uh, and you're like, well, there's this other thing that just happened, this draft yeah. for this year that I've been a little busy right. with. Yep. So here's here's what I did. And I'm going to do a bigger, bigger, like, full-blown version of this. And maybe I should do it with you, but you're kind of off for a little while. I want to do a 10 years in a row, way-too-early mock draft recap because with the quarterbacks – and this isn't a, hey, you guys suck at this thing. This is a, the quarterbacks who go from top five, top ten picks to second to fourth round. Matt Barkley's like one of my all-time favorites as the example of this. Yep. That happens way too often. Drew Locke, yep. Jevin Sneed. Ugh. I know. Yeah. Bill um, Brandt still hates me about that. He, 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 he was told by someone in the... And the, and the Sneed, Sneed family that I family. sat that I sat down with and told them that you should leave school early, and that wasn't true. But anyway, <laughs> this is why I if love I, this stuff. If I know you well enough, I don't imagine there's any point where you would have met up with the Sneed family to say, "Hey, while I'm in the area, I just want to let you know you should leave." A year I have before. literally never met a human being in the Sneed family in my life. But oh well. Yeah, but no, okay. but that's that's the reason I don't like doing. Is I don't want to give false hope to players and don't want them to be influenced at all by it. Wait until December. I'll have a much better feel and I'll actually study the tape and, and talk to a lot more people about character and medical. And at least, like, no one in my first round in December is going to wind up in, like, the seventh round or not drafted. Let's put it that way. Okay, but here's here's what I would want to throw to you is that if I went, I went back and looked at it, but I want to do like a really year by year, fully detailed thing for the podcast listeners. But of all the guys that are in the first round for the quarterbacks, specifically the top ten, one ends up not being in there. So yeah. can you imagine a year from now we're going, you know, say fifty one weeks, and I'm going, man, to a second rounder, huh? Or not man, her at Oregon, okay? But not I mean, his, her- history. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, how- Herbert, sorry for the uh, fire truck going by. Herbert, Herbert was up and down last year, but he's so talented. People love him. He, he's going to be, and Mel is screaming at him. For some reason, Mel, after the fact, became this huge Josh Allen fan. When I introduced him to Josh Allen, did his championship game 2016, whatever it was, and, uh, and he thinks I hated Josh Allen, but... <laughs> He's got some Josh Allen to him in terms of the inconsistency, 
you'll see some throws and be like, whoa, where, where's that going? But then you'll see some throws and you'll see, you'll say, oh, I mean, there's not many guys out there that can do that. And he's big and he's mobile and he's smart and he, you know, he can pick stuff up. So this is going to be a big year for Herbert. I, I could see his evaluation swaying a little bit to uh, outside of the durability stuff. I, I mean, this, he's special. He really is. He's a special passer and his, his touch and trajectory. He just has a natural feel that most guys, especially that young, don't have. I liked what I saw from him last year. He's a really good Until athlete. Until Georgia and Clemson. Um, can I do the Steph Curry thing where I'm like, you know, I, I actually just think he was hurt. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. He just wasn't the same guy. But that's part of it, too. Can you play hurt? And why are... You get the worst out of me. Why are mom and dad coming down the tent to check on you? Like, what is it? You know, there's there's some concern there with like the whole Tua thing, you know. But he is he's awesome, man. And by the two like, and by the Tua thing, I imagine you I feel see, like he are you drafting with like a, right? You're drafting you're, you're you're drafting Tua. You know, there's like this whole or and it's not his fault necessarily it's not his fault it's just like i you know trevor's kind of quiet and just does his thing and is seems like two has got a lot more going on around him but like same thing was said about baker that hasn't been an issue you know dude people said way worse stuff about baker than they're saying about two yeah 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 there's a, listen i'm not I'm not starting anything negative on two i'm just saying like for the only negative things i've heard from people is like you know, can he can he hold up physically? Is is he getting special treatment because he's Tua? You know, I, I bet you're hoping. Yeah, yeah, right. No, no, I, I'm, I'm. <laughs> I think you're hoping that the Alabama portion of this group is is not is that they already checked out after the Burrow ad. So um, there you go. There you go. I'm going to let you go, man, because I know how I you just, you're, you're heading back to Boston. You get to sleep uh, in. You see the fam, and uh, there shut, you it go. Down. shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. You can do a ten year ten year synopsis on my uh, on my way too early mock drafts. Oh, I'm already I'm already halfway through it. Knee deep. Knee deep. Because that's the thing is right. every year, and it's not just you. Because I I, I cross reference the whole thing. Is that if I had told you the year before when they come out and be like, okay, the three guys you have in the first round. One's going to go in the third. And in the moment, it's impossible. Hackenberg was the other one. Ugh. Ugh. Can't wait to watch the tape on Monday. Yeah, let me know. Send a tweet at us and tell me the the first rounder that you put in your mock that you're or I'm the like, most Oh, no. Yeah, right. Give okay. me the one you're most bummed out about next week. It'll be a nice, nice little follow-up. All right, you got it. All right, talk to you soon, man. All right, see you, bud. We have a few more things we want to wrap up here before we do that. I want to tell you about Simply Safe. Because there are things that can scare you. Alarm, the willies, the heebie-jeebies, panic. There are dozens of words for fear, but just one for an exceptional home security company to stop fear at your front door. That's Simply Safe. Simply Safe is home security that knows it feels good to fear less. This is an award-winning 24/7 protection that protects your home through it all, through blizzards, blackouts, and burglars. Simply Safe has won awards from all the tech experts that count. The Verge calls it the best home security. 
It's won Reader's Choice from PC Magazine. It's a two-time winner of CNET Editor's Choice and a wire cutter top pick. Simply Safe has no contract, no hidden fees, and no gutchas. All the other companies, man, when I started trying to be a grown-up, buying properties, wanted and be like, wait a minute, this is free. This oh, none of this is free. What do you what do you mean? That's Simply Safe. No gutchas, no hidden fees, no contracts. Can't say it enough. And they always keep prices fair and honest. Thanks to Simply Safe, fear has no place in a place like home. Try Simply Safe with free shipping and free returns. You'll get a 60-day risk-free trial too. Order now and have your home protected within a week. Go to simplysafe.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, to get started today. That's simplysafe.com slash Ryan. Be sure to go there so you know that we sent you, and everybody knows how great the podcast is, simplysafe.com slash Ryan. McShay sounds worked, Saruti. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame him. Uh, no, not at all. How long did we have him on? A little over 30. Really? Okay. Yeah, about 30, actually. Do... Yeah. 30, 30? Good. Because I, I didn't want it to go longer than 30 because I know how busy he is and I know how much it sucks. I hate when I when I say yes to a phoner and you want to say yes to him and then you're like, okay, now I have to pull over my car and just sweat and stew in here for 20 <laughs> minutes. And be like, well, I'm not I'm not sure if Wendell Carter is going to be an NBA All-Star, but I really liked him as one year at Duke, you know, so... Uh, I appreciate McShay doing that. Yeah, but now he gets to like, I don't know what he does, but hang out at Cape Cod or do whatever McShay, the McShay family does for a few months here. He's a Nantucket guy. He's not afraid. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. My bad. Cape Cod. Come on. Ridiculous. Take a boat. Boat guy. Ian Field hanging out. Field. Nothing is more. If you were to take every ESPN personality and then, you know how when you were a kid and it would be capitals of countries or capitals of of really states would be the better way to put it. But um then you have to draw the line across the thing. Mm-hmm. If there were a list of on-air people like 10 deep and then like a list of different vacation destinations and field were on the left list and Nantucket were on the right, you would, you would get the test and you would look down and you'd be like, okay, well here's the first one. All right. Now let's see. <laughs> yep. Let's see how many I can get. How's everything else fall in line? <laughs> yeah. Let me see here. Like, um, Bucci, I don't know. Minneapolis? That would be, now Minneapolis isn't even an option. So yeah, right. Field, Nantucket, boom. McShay, not far behind though. I remember he grew out his hair one summer. He had a party. He like grew, not the front. Like when, like when he was on TV? Yeah. Well, it was right after he was done. So he knew he had like some yeah. leeway. He had a, probably eight weeks where he, he wasn't going to be in front of a camera. And he started growing the back of it out. And it was, it was horrible. And I don't like to knock anybody's hair, but it was, it was like you grew bangs, but in the back, if that makes any sense. So it wasn't like he went Thor kind of deal, Clay Matthews. He just, he had kind of a Lego front and then just grew out the back. And it was, he had a party. He used to have this party at this house he used to have where it was a 4th of July deal. So it was a roof deck thing. So I went a couple of years and he, um, dudes were like, what are you doing? Like, no one was even afraid. It, just, it was so weird <laughs> that guys were just like, hey, what's going on? Hey, guys, you know, grab a beer. He's like, foods are, what, what, what are you doing? And McShay got, I think he got a little self-conscious about it because guys were just, no one could contain themselves. And it's Boston guys too, so nobody's going to stop. They're just gonna be like, what are you, what? Yeah, is this? let's be it's honest. Like, Boston guy, those, they typically keep the same haircut for like most of their lives, right? They don't really experiment a ton. Oh, yeah, you know what? That's even a better point because I was saying like Boston guys just will keep killing you the whole time. 
what you said is even more insightful and better. You're right because you're like, why are you going to change how you look? You're from Boston. <laughs> you're supposed to just dress one way right out of college, and then that's it until you die. Like, what do you do? You not know the rules? And uh, Shay's like, what? What? He's like, I don't, I don't get it with you guys. Why don't you back off? It's trying something different. You know, I trust my hairdresser. We're like, oh my god, he made it even worse. I respect it. As someone who changes the hair probably every couple months, you got to mix it up. He, and he can't mix it up, which sucks. Cause as soon as he did it and he went on TV, people would be like, Oh, what are you doing with your hair, McShay? Yeah. He, yeah, he grew out the back. That's, see, so that I can't, it, I don't know. Like, he so, had like a little I don't understand tie. what you're saying though. Like, did the back grow faster than the front? I don't understand. No, they trimmed up the front and but he, he left, left the back. Yeah. Like he had a little, we're talking like a Cristiano Ronaldo, like 10 years ago type deal where it's like no, a, no, it wasn't spike quite hockey hair. It was really strange because then it was like cut straight across. It was like this. It was almost like this German art thing. It was it was weird, man. And guys were like, "What? What are you? What are you doing?" He's like, "What? What? Like, what are you doing?" No, Rusillo. I went, "Hey, hey, look, I get it. I've lost. You win. You win seven days out of the week." But and you know I don't like doing this. But what, what's going on there? And then his wife's like, "I think it's great." I'm like, well, obviously you like it because then he wouldn't even have it. You know what's funny about McShay? I've always noticed this about McShay is that he, I like his suit game, but he has kind of like a, he, he it's, I'm not He's trying a traditionalist. to, yeah, like it's really it's just the same Hamm. version of the same kind yeah. of color scheme. It's a darkish gray thing with a white I shirt, like it, gray tie. I, like I do. It's a very business look. It's yeah. a good look, and it's his look. Yeah, he's he's absolutely Mad Men type. Deal he, he's not one of those sports center guys that comes in with like you know the pastel tie or like a different look every day or like a you know a funky looking blazer like he is all business all the time how would you describe me I, you don't wear a suit enough i think you look uncomfortable in suits uh for the most part not that's not a diss you just like you you know I, and i don't know if it's because you are uncomfortable or because you, i'm just not used to seeing you in a suit i remember that one day that you came in and you had just bought like a really nice new suit and you were super pumped about it yeah um and but I, I probably I had to be on TV that day though. I, I doubt I did that just because I liked the suit. But then you would forget socks all the time, so then the socks never matched. Yeah, I never was a good sock guy because most of the time I was never, you know, I'd, I'd never have to worry about it. And then of course when it was a bad sock day, they'd be like, "Hey, we're gonna do a full screen." Like Canel, you know, I liked and I like Canel's style. Canel prided, you know, he took real pride in like I'm gonna come in with some statement piece every day, whether it was a jacket, I think he was just a tie, to get free clothes, it, free clothes too. I'm sure, I'm sure helped, but. He liked looking like the the dapper dude, you know. I don't I don't get that vibe from you or McShay. Yeah, Canel was Canel wanted like Palmer. That's his deal. Palmer, like, yep. For Palmer sure. is. I'm always gonna look like I put. A t- I, I'm not knocking it, but it's like a stylist. And then I think Danny was like, "That's what I want to do too," but Danny was too big on the accessories. I just when you're doing. The tie clip, the the lapel flower, and the handkerchief. Yep. And 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 it's just like when guys started doing the the lapel flower. Like I remember just looking at it being like, I can't wait until how you look back and think how stupid <laughs> that looks. And this is gonna be a, that pastel flower thing is gonna have a really the lapel flower that run is gonna be short. He had Real a foxtail thing one day too. Remember he was that was his he, thing. Yeah, he saw Cam do it. Yeah. Anytime anyone had anything, any sort of fashion accessory, whatever it yep. possibly was, if it was in play that weekend, he will have have he would have ordered it and had it by Wednesday. 
he was borderline like Peaky Blinders look too, which I like. I like that look. You know, a lot of tweed. You know, I don't know even know what that hat's called. It's not the Kangol, but the old school Kangol. The longshoreman. Yeah, you know the ones that they put the like they literally put the razor blades in. If you've ever seen the show, like what are those hats called? I don't know, but I could see him. Doing I don't know. That. I think everyone that wears that looks like a hoodlum. Mm. Like one of my buddies who I can lie, I kind of like it. A bad dude. He he then completed the look with one of those hats, and I went. So you just you're not even remotely concerned anymore, huh? <laughs> Like you want guys to know that that you're like not just a tough guy, but like a bit on bit on the edge of society. You think that guy's really a tough guy? I think he's kind of a wannabe tough guy. Who who wears that hat? Yeah, you know, like there. I don't know. I don't. I no, I think the guy that's not wearing it for fashion is a tough guy. How about that? Okay, yep. like the guy that's like, how come this hat is getting really popular? <laughs> like that guy, <laughs> yeah, was okay, yep, actually yep. like he just wore that hat because that's that's what he was around. So, um, I do like suits, but I, I don't, I don't like wearing them. Does that make any sense? Yeah. You're more of a, you know, you're more of like a roan athletic wear type guy, you know, coming in with the slim pant, you know, even like, I used to wear dress shoes and dress pants, dress shirts. I did it all the time. And then I realized no one, no one. Cares. Yeah, I remember that. I remember when I first started working on the show on SVP and Rosillo, you were, you would always wear a, like a button up, like nice jeans or pants, good belt, and it was always tucked in, right? Always and then tucked in, always There was a shoes. slow evolution of you just kind of going towards more the quarter zip, definitely a t shirt thing, and then slowly into Roan or Lululemon pants. Yeah. And t shirt as much as I get away with. Because yep. I started going like, what's the point? There's no point. I always think like younger dudes at ESPN, like there's a, there'll be like guys in the PA program and stuff and they'll put on a tie. Oh, I hate the dress for the job you want. Thing. Yeah, dress I, for the job you the want. That's the dumbest thing ever. And you go, no one cares, dude. Like you look like an idiot. Like you look like you're trying too hard. We have a few guys in the department that's like, okay, man, like cool. Yeah, cause there's the thing. I would have thought that too. And it's, it sounds like really good advice when you're young cause you don't know any better. And, now that I'm older, I go, yeah, that doesn't, I'm not, look, there might be other industries where the just dress for the job you want thing, but there, there are times too where, like, if you're 24 and you're in the PA program and you're wearing Brooklyn Taylor's custom suits, I actually don't think you're impressing anybody. I think you're pissing people off. I agree. You, you stand out for the wrong reason, especially because in today's day and age, like, you got CEOs and bosses of companies that are wearing, like, Chuck Taylor's and skinny jeans to work, like, I mean, we had a meeting with Pitaro, and Pitaro was a well-dressed guy, but he wasn't in a suit. He was in like a nice pair of jeans, tucked in shirt, maybe sneakers, but like not a you know not you know not not a full suit to work every day. I feel like those I like guys. To get, right, I like to throw in a good suit for something that I'm really excited about. And if I have to throw a suit on for TV, I don't mind. But when you're doing it as often as I was doing it, I had that that Sports Center run where I was on all the time for the playoffs. I don't know, a couple years ago and then just stopped. But I was in there, I was going in at 6 a.m. and I was getting dressed and I was probably not comfortable in a suit because I was sleeping like four hours a night through that stretch because I'd be staying up so late and then I'd be going in so early. And then it was like, okay, now that I'm done with this, I have to do the radio show. So I, uh, I do like suits, but I'm not, I'm not in a competition about it. Like guys that are like, I'm the best dressed at ESPN. You're like, oh my God. Yeah, but they all kind of wear the same thing. That's my problem. They all shop at the same places. They wear the same kind of ties. 
Chalmers big and tall. <laughs> what else do we need to do? We need to update what life advice. We have a new client, right? We do. We can do life it next coach. week. Yeah, let's do want. it next week. Well, there's something massively breaking. This is a long one. I didn't expect it to go this long. I wanted to do all that NBA stuff, McShay. So I think we're good. I think we're done here. I think you need to get to work on the Will Kane show. And I will start working on the scene that I'm trying to write. And it's a little cloudy out. So I'll probably get some work done today. And it's an off day from the gym. So didn't know there were off days. All right. Well, obviously I'll go do abs, but <laughs> nice. Yeah. Not like, you know, blast my not, today. Yeah. We're going to just blast the old abs, 400 movements, get 400 movements in real quick. 15 minutes started working with a personal trainer. Oh, rewatched uh battle of Winterfell last night. You watch it again. So I'm halfway through it on my second watch myself. The second time through, and I'll keep this short, it made me even more mad that people didn't like it. Wow, that's mad. I thought it was awesome. I really did. I, I think the, the open with the Dothraki, with the swords being lit, and then all the fire from the blades going out as they run into that first wave mm-hmm. is so cool. Yep. The way that is shot. That was such a good idea. Like to really set the tone, the ominous tone. We're going to do this with the fire blades. Genius. Genius, I tell you. All right, let's do a bigger Game of Thrones thing next week, you and I, because I'm getting a phone call right now to do a hit with Chicago. Whoa. So there you go. Have fun. All right, next week, Later. subscribe, rate, review. And, by the way, check out Zach Lowe's podcast with Stan Van Gundy, the Low Post. Subscribe to that as well for all your hoops coverage throughout the playoffs. Talk to you next week.